70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, I'm Dave Paywin, a KBS World Radio show fan from Malaysia. I started tuning in to KBS World Radio show on August 17, 2021 using the Kong app. I fell in love with One Fine Day with Inapa and K-pop connection from the very first day I started tuning in and ever since then I've been tuning in religiously every day, rain or shine. Uh, you know before I started listening to KBS World Radio Show, I was not into K-pop and I knew nothing about K-pop. But uh, after listening to One Fine Day and K-pop connection for 16 months now, can you believe it? I even won a K-pop quiz organized by my company's team building. And I'm so fascinated by what I hear about Korea on KBS World Radio Shows that I decided to visit your beautiful country in October 2022. And I finally get to enjoy the beautiful autumn that the radio DJs often talk about. Uh, and I would like to thank KBS World Radio um, for producing all these amazing radio shows so that we international fans not only um, get to enjoy K-pop, but also everything about Korea. Happy 70th birthday, KBS World Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye. 70 years with KBS World Radio. 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. the 26th of January and welcome to our Thursday edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-wo. The presidential office has announced plans to provide greater energy subsidies and discounts on gas bills for vulnerable groups amid the recent surge in heating costs. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Debate over electoral reform has gained momentum in recent weeks after President Yun suggested the adoption of a multiple representative constituency system. We'll delve into the idea more for our in-depth today. And then coming up for Explore Korea, we learn all about rice cakes, or duck, as well as a museum dedicated to the Korean festive staple. Let's begin Korea 24. A surge in heating bills has become a social and political hot topic in recent days on the back of skyrocketing gas prices and a bitter cold wave. And in an apparent response, the presidential office unveiled plans today, Thursday, to provide greater energy subsidies and discounts on gas bills for vulnerable groups. Our KBS World Radio news editor, Kui Jin, joins us in the studio now to tell us more about these measures and the rest of the day's headlines. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, Jang. So this matter has been a cause of contention between rival parties who continue to be mired in a blame game over the ballooning gas bills. 
But first, can you brief us more on the overall situation and the plans that were announced today by the top office? Well, the retail price of gas for cooking and heating in the capital Seoul this month stands at 19.691 per one megajoule. That's nearly 40% more than a year ago. The rise is due largely to the global energy crisis amid the war in Ukraine, which pushed the cost of liquefied natural gas to a record high for South Korea. Amid extreme weather conditions, the presidential office on Thursday unveiled its plans to temporarily double the energy subsidies for low-income households to 304,001 or around 245 US dollars. Under the plan, over 1,170,000 households will receive additional financial help in the form of expanded energy vouchers and a total of about 1.6 million families will benefit from from greater discounts on their gas bills. Senior Presidential Secretary for Economic Affairs Che Sang-mok said that the past few years saw little rise in energy prices due to a low-cost energy policy despite a constant upward momentum. Che's remarks effectively laid the blame for the swollen energy bills on the Moon Jae-in administration's energy policy. The ruling party also slammed the former government for what it called populist energy policies. On the other hand, the main opposition Democratic Party pressed the incumbent government to charge windfall taxes to energy corporations and increase the subsidy to budget, uh, a subsidy budget to a total of 7.5 trillion won. Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho told reporters later in the day that the government has no plans to introduce such additional additional taxes. Yes, we'll continue to follow the rollout of the government's plan in the coming days, as well as the political disputes over this issue. Uh, The government has predicted that surging energy costs will be a drag on the local economy, which is also concerning as the central bank reported on Thursday that the nation's economy contracted in the fourth quarter of last year for the first time in two and a half years. Can you tell us more about uh, what the Bank of Korea disclosed today? Well, the BOK estimated on Thursday that the country's gross domestic product, or GDP, shrank 0.4% in the October to December period from the previous quarter. It marks the first quarterly contraction since the second quarter of 2020, when the economy shrank 3% on the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. That year saw negative growth of 0.7%. And despite the negative growth in the fourth quarter, the economy in 2020 grew 2.6%, meeting BOK's earlier estimates. Well, our next story is perhaps no surprise then, considering the Q4 figures for last year. Domestic firms are heavily pessimistic in their business outlook for next month. And in fact, the sentiment is the lowest in two and a half years, according to a new report. Can you tell us more? Well, according to the Federation of Korean Industries Business Survey Index, or BSI, comprising of the nation's top 600 companies by sales, business outlook stood at 83.1 for February, the lowest since August 2020. A reading below 100 indicates that pessimists outnumber optimists. The BSI outlook for domestic 
domestic firms has remained below 100 for the past 11 months since last April. The BSI for manufacturers reached 81.4, while the index for non-manufacturers, including restaurants, wholesalers and retail businesses, stood at 85.1, remaining below 100 for nine consecutive months. Well, it hasn't been all doom and gloom for Korean companies, however. Hyundai Motor logged a record annual operating profit of over 9 trillion won last year, despite the global economic downturn. Indeed, the automaker said its operating profit reached 9.8 trillion won, or $7.9 billion, an on-year increase of 47%. This came during a conference call announcing its performance for 2022 on Thursday. The company sold more than 3.9 million vehicles, with its net profit increasing by over 40% on-year to stand at 7.9 trillion won or 6.4 billion dollars. An official from the company said demand will likely remain strong as chip shortages have improved and major markets have low inventory levels, but added that uncertainties remain, such as geopolitical risks and interest rate hikes. Yes, we'll perhaps look over some of those latest economic figures on our show tomorrow, where we will have our Friday segment, Weekly Economy Review. Let's move on to other headlines. The US-led UN command said both South Korea and North Korea violated the armistice by sending drones into each other's territory last month. This comes from a review of the sequence of events after the North sent five spy drones into the South. So what did the UNC conclude? Well, the UNC Military Armistice Commission announced on Thursday that a special investigative team concluded that North Korea committed a violation of the armistice when it flew five drones into South Korea's territory. It added that while South Korea's attempt to engage the drones with fighter jets and attack helicopters was in line with the armistice, its subsequent action to send its own drones into the North's territory was not and constituted an an armistice breach. The disclosure of investigation comes amid concerns that it may risk friction with the Seoul government, which has said that the actions were made in self-defence. The UNC is a key enforcer of the armistice that effectively ended the Korean War in 1953. Yes, so a strong conclusion by the UNC. Moving on, the number of babies born in South Korea has hit yet another record low in November, reflecting the country's dire population crisis. So, Hijin, a familiar refrain, but can you break down the latest figures for us? Yes, according to data from Statistics Korea on Thursday, a total of 18,982 babies were born in November, plunging 4.3% from the previous year. This marks the lowest November tally since the agency began compiling related data in 1981. The number of babies born every month has shown a steady on-year decline since 2015. And finally, the government has announced plans to enact a law prohibiting sex offenders with high reoffending risk from living close to schools. Can you tell us more? Well, the Justice Ministry on Thursday submitted its 2023 policy blueprint to President Yoon Suk-yeol that include plans to resubmit a revision on the Act on Electronic Monitoring to the National Assembly for approval in May. The move is an apparent response to social controversy and public apprehension over the residents 
victims of a sex offender whenever a notorious child rapist is released from prison. Authorities are currently limited from specifying the dwelling for such offenders due to the constitution that guarantees the right to reside or move anywhere. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol caused a stir at the start of the year after he floated the idea of electoral reform in an interview with a local newspaper. He suggested the idea of adopting an electoral district system with multiple representatives per constituency rather than the current winner-takes-all system. This has sparked intense debate in the Korean political scene leading to speculation that it could even lead to major reforms before next year's legislative elections. To learn more about the system, its merits and pitfalls and more, we have joining us on the line now, Law Professor Song Seryeon from Kyungi University. Professor Song, thank you for your time today. Hello, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, so President Yun has proposed an intriguing idea. It's uh, not a new idea, but it has been discussed before in Korean political circles, but it has sparked debate once again. But first, could you explain for us what the multi-representative constituency system is, the 중대선거구제 in Korean, and how it's different from the current single-member district system? Because it's not a common system globally, right? Right. Uh, but it's the, the two major systems, I guess. Um, but simply put, if you uh, elect just one person from a, a district, then it's a, a single-member uh, district. If it's more than two people, uh, usually it's a two to five, then uh, it's called a, a multi-member district or uh, multi-member uh, uh, constituency system. Uh, the advantage of having a, a multiple member is that uh, uh, in a in a single member system, if you're uh, voting for the losing uh, uh, candidate, then your vote has no value. It's a dead vote. But uh, since you are electing a multiple member, uh, potentially it, it could contribute to uh, having uh, more diverse interest being uh, represented because it increases the chance of uh, smaller parties uh, to to uh, win. Mm. So uh, that's a, that's an advantage. But of course, we can talk about the disadvantages because it could make it more complex if you have more candidates uh, than the management of that uh, the voting uh, method uh, gets a little little bit complicated and and, uh, frankly, uh, more expensive. Right, yes. So instead of a winner-takes-all system where a single winner becomes a representative of a certain district, even if he only wins by one vote, the multiple representative system means that votes from a certain district will help choose multiple representatives. That way, uh, the people's vote will be better represented, as you're saying, and it could potentially uh, help uh, perhaps even uh, the country move away from a two-party system, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, but as you said, it does sound rather complicated. Are there any other countries that have adopted a similar system? Uh, 
Well, uh, mostly the parliamentary government system, including Sweden, Argentina, uh, Taiwan, and Japan, uh, have used or using the, the multiple-member uh, system. Uh, and Japan's system is pretty noteworthy because it's, cl- it's close and gives us some lessons. They, they used to uh, uh, use the multiple-member system, but they reverted back to the single-member system in 1996. And their experiences show that uh, other than the complexity of it, uh, because multiple members are elected uh, from the, the potentially in the same party, the factional uh, competition within the within the party it makes it uh, 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 more heated uh, and also more uh, complex within the party. And frankly, some uh, corruption issues cropped up as well. Mm. So uh, I, I think it's a matter of how it's managed, uh, despite the advantages of. Uh, uh, giving more chances to smaller parties. In effect, it didn't really turn out that way in Japan. And in a limited sample uh, experiences in Korea as well, we have used in the local elections uh, uh, the, the multiple uh, member system. But uh, the jury is still out there whether the multiple member system uh, can, as designed, uh, address the, the big party preference problem and also in Korea, the regional dominance uh, of the parties depending on uh, where you're uh, voting. Hmm. Okay, let's break it down a bit more. Let's first potentially put any sort of corruption or abuse of the system to one side. And if we look at it uh, more broadly, if the uh, if this electoral system were to be brought in, how would it change the political landscape, and more broadly, Korean society? What benefits would come specifically from this change? Well, essentially, uh, several things. One is uh, we have a a single-member system where the big parties usually dominate in a winner-take-all system, as you you explained. And the society becoming more diverse uh, in in today's world, uh, you need to see the, the smaller interests or the diverse interests is getting represented. So well, we usually we, we use the uh, prof- uh, proportional representation system where the small parties can get on. So people uh, debate whether uh, the, the multiple member system is the best or we can uh, fix the uh, the, the proportional representation system so that the smaller parties can get on. Uh, the changes is, other than the complexity of it, uh, the party nomination system uh, changes uh, as, uh, as it has been practiced in Korea. So the, the power that the party uh, leadership has over the nomination uh, has to be reformed in one way or the other. And probably people uh, look to that aspect of it as a number one reform uh, need in Korean politics because uh, potentially in your in your political life as, as a politician, all you need to have is to secure a nomination from your party. Mm. And if you are running at a heavily... A, a favorable district, then your success as a politician is 
over guaranteed. So in that system, you probably will not look to the, the local constituencies uh, to advance your political career. Right, so it's about better representing constituencies and also uh, perhaps uh, uh, breaking up the polarisation, the uh, having just uh, the two major parties take all the seats, perhaps uh, the system could help bring in uh, third or fourth party uh, members and help uh, break down the polarisation that we've seen in politics recently. But uh, not everyone agrees on the need for this system as well. Currently, opinions are divided among political experts and uh, people uh, from the two political parties. What do opponents about this idea say? What are their major concerns with regard to the system? Well, the, the current members uh, are the, probably the, the biggest roadblock because the members in the, the National Assembly at this point uh, are those people who uh, saw success in a single-member system. So they know how to campaign and they are familiar with the, the characteristics and the the kinds of ins and outs of the single-member system. So those, those are those who would be opposed to the, any kind of change mm. uh, away from their success formula. So I, I think that that's the... The, the biggest roadblock uh, on the, the, the ruling side and also opposition side as well. I, I think that President Yoon, when mentioned this idea, uh, was not just specifically talking about the multiple member, but underlying causes of uh, the, the reform need. Uh, the, the need for reform in a political field has been uh, debated decades and decades. And mostly we talk about the multiple member system as an alternative, but because of the, the disadvantages it has uh, that we talked about, uh, that reform idea has not been uh, fully debated, and uh, we, don't st- we still don't have a system where mm. uh, the diverse uh, interests can be represented and the smaller parties have any kind of chances at this point. Right, so the current lawmakers who are uh, in their seats perhaps uh, would find uh, a new system threatening to uh, their position, you're saying. And earlier you also mentioned uh, the cost uh, and the complexity of such a multi-representative constituency system. So then, Professor, what do you think? What is your opinion on the idea of Korea introducing the multi-representative system? Well, uh I think the practical concern at this point is that in order to implement any kind of reform and change for the next general election, uh, the law has to change uh, and be ready one year before that date. So we're looking at the April of this year to implement any kind of change uh, for the next year's general election. So I, I think that the time constraint that probably will be uh, an insurmountable uh, bar to have a meaningful change. But regardless of the, the, the deadline, I think that this reform on the nomination system and how smaller parties uh, don't have significant chances to be on the scene uh, has to be addressed. I, I think that uh, uh, instead of just looking at whether single-member or the multi-member system, 
you have to look at the proportional representation and other means of uh, giving more chances to the smaller and uh, diverse interests to be represented in the National uh, Assembly. I think those are the substantial debates that needs to have at this point. Right, so you're saying reforms are needed, whether it's uh, the multi-representative system or whether it's the uh, proportional uh, representative system. Uh, but uh, no, not necessarily saying that so perhaps the multi-representative constituency system is a, is a better idea then. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's an idea. Uh, I, I think that the, the multiple-member system uh, has been uh, probably well-researched and the, the episodic and also scholastic uh, the, the studies or look at it have not really conclusively shown that the multiple member system would uh, address the, the key uh, uh, concerns of uh, favor, favoring the big parties and in Korea the regional uh, dominance. So uh, at this point, probably. Uh, we have to look at more substantial system, uh, substantially uh, the prepared system where the details uh, really matter and uh, how it's managed in Korean uh, situation, rather than just looking at a silver bullet of the systematic change. Mm. And another factor is, of course, public sentiment. And while people might perhaps agree with uh, the detrimental effects of just having this uh, two-party dominant system and regionalism in Korea. A recent poll showed that uh, more than half of respondents were opposed to a change to a multi, multiple candidate system. According to the survey commissioned by KBS, 58.5% said it would be better to keep the current system, while 30% were in favour of an electoral district system with uh, multiple representatives. Uh, the survey was conducted on 1,000 adults between January 18th and 20th and had a margin of error of 3.1 percentage points with a 95% confidence level. What do you read into this poll? And uh, as you said, you think it's unlikely that we will see uh, a significant change like this to a multi-representative system uh, in the near future, right? Well, if you, if you look at those people who... Uh the favored some change. I mean, it's a, it's only about forty uh, percent, uh, but there there is a substantial uh, concern uh, among the vo voters about the current system. But I, I think it, it boils down to the complexity uh, of the the multiple member uh, system that uh, they cannot really give a confident uh, vote at this point. So uh, even though uh, it is in the minority. I, I think that uh, it, our political sector needs to have a substantial debate as to how uh, the reform could be uh, implemented in Korea so that uh, we can address the, mm. the diversity of uh, uh, representation and also regional dominance that has kind of doggedly uh, hampered our political system for decades. Right, so the likelihood seems slim for now for Korea to adopt the multi-representative constituency system, uh, especially as it's still unclear how strongly President Yun feels about it. He hasn't made any uh, comments on the subject since that interview, I believe. 
uh, but it has sparked debate and the calls for uh, some sort of reforms are growing. We'll see if uh, those sort of reforms uh, are adopted before that April deadline that you mentioned, Professor. But for today, we'll end it there. We've been speaking with Professor Song Seryan from Kyung University. Thank you for your time today and for walking us through uh, this issue today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 40.08 points or 1.65% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,468.65. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 6.59 points or 0.9% to close the day at 738.94. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 1-1 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,230.71. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segments where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And for that, we have Diane Yu once again joining us in the studio. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's good to be here. Okay, what stories do you have for us today? Today, we'll start by finding out how many people benefited from the government's help to recover money that was accidentally lost. Next, I'll go over a heartwarming story of citizens helping cars stuck on the road during heavy snowfall. Then let's finish today's segment with exciting news as a South Korean footballer has made the move to the Scottish Premiership. Stay tuned to find out who he is. Okay, so let's get into those stories then, starting with that one about recovered money. Can you tell us more? Mm -hmm. When transferring money to another bank account, sometimes people make mistakes, such as sending money to the wrong person by accidentally typing the incorrect account number. And because getting that money back is a costly and time-consuming process, the Korea Deposit Insurance Corporation has been making this job easier since 2021. According to the corporation on Wednesday, it returned 6 billion won, which is about $4.9 million, to 5,043 people who sent money by mistake between July 2021 and December of last year. Yes, this is uh, usually a situation nowadays, I think, that mostly happens on online or mobile banking. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a special, especially a nightmare situation if you're sending a large sum of money, of right. course. Uh, can you tell us more about the process of the corporation's policy then? Is there perhaps a limit on how much money can be recovered? Yes, the amount eligible for a refund is between 50,000 won and 50 million won. Uh, this is about $40 and $40,600. Until December 31st of last year, only wrong remittances of 50,000 won or more and 10 million won or less could be recovered. But from this year, the upper limit was greatly expanded to 50 million won. Mm. The Korea Deposit Insurance Corporation announced that about 4,800 of the benefits Fisheries, or 95% of the wrongly wired transactions were returned voluntarily, and the remaining 5% were recovered through legal procedures such as payment orders and compulsory execution. The corporation said it took an average of 46 days from the date of application for the money to return to the original owner. Well, it's encouraging to know that 95% of people gave back the money voluntarily, right. although 46 days is quite a while to get that money back as mm -hmm. well, though. Uh, so then tell us, for us in Korea, if we do find ourselves in a similar situation, 
What are the steps we need to take to recover the missing amount? First, you must request the return of the money sent by mistake to the recipient. This can be done through the financial company you use to transfer the amount. If the request is rejected, you can apply for the Korea Deposit Insurance Corporation's support to get the wrong remittance back. An application can be made through the website of the corporation, www.kdic.or.kr, or by visiting the first floor counseling center located at the corporation's headquarters in Chunggu, central Seoul. However, even with the policies that can help people who have made mistakes, it's always better to be extra careful and double-check when making transactions. Sure, uh, I always have that fear, so I always... uh double, triple check right. whenever I do send money. But mm-hmm. uh, mistakes can happen, so it's reassuring to know that there is a way to achieve the money just in case. Of course. OK, let's move on to our second story for today. What do you have for us? The good deeds of those who helped drivers trapped in the snow last month for more than an hour were belatedly known thanks to a report from a citizen. On Wednesday, the Gwangju Metropolitan Police posted a video on social media titled A Touching True Story of the Police and Citizens Working Together Amid Heavy Snow. According to the police, during evening rush hour on December 23rd, several vehicles were trapped by snow on the road in the Buk district of Gwangju City, where a heavy snowfall warning was issued. Due to the difficult weather conditions, the wheels turned, but cars were stuck on the road. Mm. Some drove around to avoid stopped vehicles, but it was a dangerous situation as the road was slippery, which could have led to an accident. Right, so then tell us about the Good Samaritans. How were they able to help? Well, the two people who witnessed the scene stopped and helped move the uh, stuck vehicles. They removed the snow from the front wheels and pushed the vehicles from behind. One of them even drove the car out of the snow themselves, and their help went on for an hour. Wow, that's uh, incredibly kind and generous with their time, especially, as I'm sure... It must have been cold in mm-hmm. that heavy snow. Uh, you mentioned the good deeds were belatedly revealed, though. How did the story come to light then? The good deeds of the two people became known through a report from a citizen. The informant sent the video to the Gwangju Metropolitan Police and said, everyone was watching and just passing by, but the two continued to push the car even though it was a dangerous situation. The informant went on to say, I just wanted to praise the two for their good deeds. That's why I'm sending you this video. And at the request of the informant, the two Samaritans were found to be the owner of a nearby tire shop and an off-duty police officer who was passing by. The officer was found to be the head of the homicide division, Officer Park Hwa-young, at the Gwangsan Police Station in Gwangju. Ah, well, okay. So he was helping people even while off duty. Yes, it's always great to hear such stories. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's uh, move on to our final story. What else has been trending? Many sports fans around the country are reading about how the striker Oh Hyun-gyu will be the next South Korean looking to make his mark on British football. Celtic, the current leaders of the Scottish Premiership, announced on Wednesday the signing of the 21-year-old striker from the Suwon Samsung Blue Wings on a five-year contract for an undisclosed fee. The transfer fee is believed to be around 3 million euros, which is approximately 3.2 million US dollars. Celtic are known to have initially offered about $1 million, but the amount is said to have tripled. Mm. This is the third time that a South Korean footballer will play for the team after Ki Sung-yong and Cha Duri, and Oh will have the number 19 on his back. Yes, Celtic have quite a good record with Korean players, so it bodes well for Oh. Uh, can you tell us more about the striker? How has he fared in the K-League 
and in his career so far. Wu first signed a semi-professional contract with Swan back in 2019 while attending high school. He made his debut in the K-League that same year and played 11 games. And in the 2022 league season, Wu helped his team avoid relegation from the K-League 1 with 13 goals and 3 assists in 36 matches. The striker earned his first international cap in November last year. And while he did travel with the Tiger Warriors to Qatar for the World Cup as an emergency backup, he was not able to get any minutes on the pitch during their four matches. Yes, I'm sure that will change. He is a very promising player. Uh, what have the team and all said about the move? During an interview with his new club, O said that it's a dream come true moment for him as he dreamt about playing for the club since he was a child. He showed also showed his strong will, saying, I want to score a lot of goals here and win the championship together. And as for Celtic, they welcomed the 21-year-old with open arms. The Scottish champions manager Ange Postecoglou greeted O, saying, I am happy to bring O Hyung he is a young, talented striker who is eager to develop and succeed. The manager added that he thinks O will be a great fit in the squad. The South Korean will be joining a team informed this season as they are top of the table with 61 points with 20 wins, one draw and one loss in 22 matches. So let's keep our eyes on how O will contribute to the team's likely title win. Yes, hopefully he can acclimatise quickly and break into the first team squad. And mm-hmm. if he does, it should be a great opportunity for him to improve his game, especially if Celtic qualify for the Champions League right. uh, next season as well. OK, that's all we have time for on today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you again tomorrow. See you next time. It's time now for our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we journey across the peninsula to discover more about the country's history, culture and travel highlights. And joining us this week for that is Hannah Roberts, a travel explorer with some places to introduce for us in Korea. Hannah, welcome back. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. OK, so where are you taking us this week? So since it's the season for it, you know, since Nidalini New Year has just passed. Uh, I'm going to be talking about rice cakes today and I'm going to take us to an interesting museum in Seoul that you can visit to learn more about them. Okay, so Sola has just passed, as you said, so I'm sure some of our listeners, especially those in Korea, will mm-hmm. have had their rice cakes or oh, yeah, already. Had already. Their <laughs> uh, but perhaps uh, they might not necessarily know why rice cakes are associated with the Lunar New Year. Can you tell us what makes... Uh, rice cakes special at this time of year? Sure. So Lunar New Year, which, as you said, is called Sallal here, uh, is one of, if not the most important uh, day of the year here in Korea. Mm. Uh, While rice cakes of different varieties feature heavily in other holidays across the whole calendar, it's arguably Sallal that has the most important rice cake custom of all, and that is eating a bowl of rice cake soup on New Year's Day. It's a it's kind of a multifunctional custom <laughs> with one of the reasons being for it uh, that the circular rice cakes look like coins. Mm. Uh, and so you'll have good fortune for the year ahead if you eat your soup. But the main and most commonly known reason is that it's a longstanding tradition stemming from when the age of Koreans was calculated by the turn of the Lunar New Year. And people still follow this custom nowadays, even suggesting that you won't get older if you don't eat your rice cake soup, which maybe is not something everyone 
would mind too much. <laughs> of course. Yes, in fact, uh, our producer was saying that uh, she didn't want to eat rice cake this year for this very reason. Maybe that is the secret to eternal youth, okay. but uh, who knows? <laughs> but anyway, indeed. So uh, eating rice cakes during the Lunar New Year is a cultural tradition, but uh, it's not the only time of year that is associated with rice cakes, right? That's right, yeah. Like I said, rice cakes in their many, diff- many, many different shapes and forms are eaten for holidays occurring all year round. The kinds of rice cakes eaten on special occasions can vary greatly, like the steamed rice cakes that, that look like sponge cakes. They've tricked me a few times. Uh, they look like sponge cakes that are served at children's significant birthdays, particularly their 100th day celebration and on their first birthday too. Uh, rice cakes are an important off part of the offering table when performing ancestral rites. And we can't forget, of course, the half-moon-shaped rice cakes called songpyeon that are made and eaten for the Harvest Moon Festival, which most people know as chuseok here in Korea. Mm. On top of all of the cel- celebratory rice cakes, they're also eaten, of course, as part of daily life, such as the popular dish tteokbokki, uh, which are, for anyone who doesn't know, rice cakes cooked in spicy sauce. One of my favourites. And (laughs) (laughs) a lot of traditional desserts are made using rice cakes and some kind of sweetening ingredients such as red bean or honey. Uh, Every region of Korea has their own varieties of rice cakes too. You know, the possibilities of rice cakes really are endless. Right, so it's a food that is uh, enjoyed all year round now, essentially, but it still has special meaning during those holidays and those uh, milestone uh, early birthday events, as you said. Okay, so now that we know more about the significance of duck, can you tell us about the museum you mentioned earlier? It seems like there is still a lot to know. Of course, yeah. There is certainly a lot that can be learned about rice cakes since there are so many kinds. Mm. And the perfect place to go to learn everything you might ever want to know about them is the Duck Museum. Duck is rice cake in mm. Korean. Uh, it's located in Seoul, very close to the Jongmyo Shrine and the tourist favourite neighbourhood of Insadong. Their main exhibition hall includes several different zones showcasing the plethora of varieties of Korean rice cakes. The exhibits have been split into five groups, with the first showcasing some quite magnificent displays of the kind of rice cakes and arrangements that are made for special occasions and the holidays in Korea, like Mm. we talked about. There are two zones showing us the kitchen setup of a traditional Hanok house and displays the traditional tools used in the whole process of making rice cakes from the very beginning to the very end. Right. And another showcases the many different dishes made using rice cakes that we eat still in daily life. Of course, there is also a section of the hall dedicated to kimchi and how it was traditionally made and stored. And there's also a fun diorama of a uh, Joseon-era village with models of people preparing rice cakes, rice cake dishes, and taking part in traditional Korean sports and activities. Right, so it sounds like there's lots to see and Mm -hmm. lots to learn, as you said. Are there any sorts of uh, activities you can do there? For example, does the museum offer any sort of cooking classes for anyone who wants to perhaps try their hand at making them? Yes, they definitely do. Uh, If you want to learn from an expert on how to make rice cakes, the museum has classes available for groups to book. Mm. There are particular classes for foreigners, however, which would be good for anyone who can't speak Korean. Right, right, of course. They might be a rice cake museum, but they also offer kimchi making classes as well as a traditional food cooking class. And you might even get to wear hanbok while you do it.
Okay, so they offer the full-on uh, cultural the experience, whole experience. Uh, as such. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, okay, then, and finally, how do we get there? Where is the museum? The museum is located just a few minutes' walk from Exit Seven of Jongno Samga Station, Jongno Three Station, which is on lines three, five, and one. So very easy to get to. Mm. It's open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day except Sunday, uh, and it's also closed at Lunar New Year and Chuseok. Ironically or not, whichever way you see it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the entry fee for an adult is 3,001 and for children it's 2,001. Mm. And if you want to take part in the cooking classes, you can make a reservation online. The classes led in English require a minimum of 15 participants. So to be able to book, you'd have to you know, gather some friends together so you right. can all enjoy some fun and good food together. Mm. Uh, the rice cake and kimchi classes are 50,001 each and the traditional food class is 70,001 per person. All right, getting a group together sounds like it could be a fun day out. A uh, lot of fun, yeah. I think, yeah. Okay, that's where we'll leave it for Explore Career this week. Hannah, thank you for telling us all about duck and uh, rice cakes and the Duck Museum, of course. Uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. See you next time. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. It's our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us in the studio now. Richard, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, good to see you too. Okay, so what's caught your eye first for tomorrow? First, let's take a look at the Korea Times. Dong Hun Son Hwa's article in the Lifestyle section talks about the new book by a psychiatrist named Park Jong Suk that aims to help treat people who are addicted to investing in stocks. We also found out why the doctor wrote the book. Hmm, okay, so investing in the stock market's become a very yes. uh, popular activity in South Korea in recent years, particularly for those in their 20s and 30s. It's seen as a way for. Uh, younger people to try and grow their money, particularly as uh, there are f so few options elsewhere mm, as well right. at the moment, such as uh, real estate that's too expensive and banks offer too little interest rates. But uh, as you can imagine, there are pitfalls to this as well. So anyway, it's a hot topic for a book then. Can you tell us more about it? I understand it's actually a novel, right? Yes, it is. The novel is called Gurodong Investment Club and it follows a psychiatrist named Park Jun Soo who runs an investment club with four other members. They are all going through a tough time in their lives. For example, one of the members in his 20s tries to outpace his friends and become successful, but ends up being caught up in a stock price manipulation scandal. The story focuses on the members sharing their concerns with each other as a way to show support and help each other through dark times. This could be similar to real life. There are, of course, success stories, but not everyone is able to hit the jackpot, so to speak. This can lead to people feeling depressed with nowhere to turn to. Right, so it's not all horror stories, but it's also not all success stories either then. Right. An important aspect to recognise. 
uh, for many who are getting into stocks and other investments as well, I guess, like Bitcoin and NFTs. Yes, exactly. And uh, yes, as we said, it's a very popular activity at the moment for young Koreans, right? Yes. So the topic could be relatable to many in Korea, because according to the data from the Korea Securities Depository, there were 13.84 million stock investors in 2021. And in the same year, there were 1,627 addicted investors who tried to find counselling. This is a six-fold jump from 2017. Yes, a concerning trend, but not a surprise, really. So uh, why did the doctor then decide to write this book? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One reason is that at the moment, there are not enough doctors who are able to help. The article mentions that there are only four to five doctors in Seoul who are dedicated to treating people suffering from addiction to stock investments. The next reason is that the psychiatrist himself was addicted to investing in stocks. Park mentioned that he did see success in the beginning, But this made him take more risks, which led to him becoming penniless. He was also fired from his job because he spent most of his working hours watching the stock market on his cell phone. Wow. So the doctor is speaking from first-hand experience then. and Quite extreme case as well. Hopefully he can help people through this uh, novel. But it does also highlight an issue that is perhaps uh, not being talked about enough. Mm. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Next, we head to the weekend section of the Korea Herald. One of the things I've noticed during my time in Korea is that competition is pretty fierce when it comes to education. It is very difficult for high schoolers to get into decent universities. This period is so important in Korea that when students take the college scholastic ability test, also known as the Sunung, airplanes are halted and businesses <laughs> opening hours are changed. This article focuses on a particular neighbourhood called Dechi, which is located in Gangnam, Seoul. Yes, if our listeners have seen Korean dramas like Sky Castle, then I'm sure uh, they have an idea about this area. Exactly. The article talks about how many mums in the area give up their careers and only focus on getting their children into top universities. One of the mums even says it's like fighting in a war. Also, the cost of education is a big factor parents need to consider. For example, hagwons, which are after-school academies, can cost around 800 US dollars per month per subject. So it could be thousands. The article gives an interesting insight into the lives of dechi mums, which is what they're called, and just how many people end up going through to get their children into top universities. Yes, this pressure is said to be one of the reasons why many people are choosing not to have children in Korea nowadays, contributing to the uh, record low birth rate, which we mentioned on the show earlier as well. Many people realise that the competition is unhealthy, but at the same Mm. time it's hard to avoid it, as once you have children, you feel that pressure to make sure your kids do not fall behind. So it's a vicious cycle. Well, we're out of time, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. Richard, Mm -hmm. thank you for those stories, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. And that's where we bring our show to a close as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.